morning. Glad to see you here this morning. If you're a guest of ours, boy, we are honored to have you with us today. I am glad to see you here this morning, but I really hope to see you next week as well. Okay? Next Sunday is going to be a big Sunday here at Bay Area. Next Sunday, we're going to be officially, I guess, unveiling our vision for 2020 and beyond. And you need to be here. It's going to be an important, uh, important Sunday. So plan on being here next week, but that's next week. And this is this week. You probably heard the old story about two friends who started talking about reading the Bible one afternoon. And the one says to the other, oh, I just love to read my Bible. I love the stories in the Bible. And his friend asks, well, what's your favorite story in the Bible? He said, I guess my favorite story in the Bible would be the story of the Good Samaritan. And the friend says, well, would you share with me the story of the Good Samaritan? And the guy says, well, as best as I can recall, there was a Good Samaritan traveling down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thorns. And they sprang up and choked him, left him half dead. But then a man came by feeding a swine, and he said to the man, I'll arise and go to my father. So he took up his bed and walked. But while the soldiers were chasing him through the forest, he got his hair caught in the trees. And he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights, and the ravens fed him. Just then Delilah came along with a pair of shears. She cut off his hair, and he fell on stony ground. But the good master of the house resurrected him, And he journeyed on his way. And all of a sudden he came to the wall of Jericho. And there's Jezebel sitting on that wall. And she mocked him. So he said, throw her down to the dogs. And they threw her down 70 times, 7 times. (laughs) And great was the fall thereof. And the fragments that remained they picked up and filled 12 basketfuls. Now tell me, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Okay, that man probably read his Bible a little bit, right? But he wasn't reading it enough. He wasn't reading it quite correctly. In the days of the prophet uh, Hosea, the Lord said, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And he wanted to say, Because you've rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you've ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Interesting statement from God. I want you to hold on to that thought for a few minutes. I want to throw up on the screen what by now I hope is a familiar looking slide. I hope it's a familiar looking passage as well. Acts 2, 42 through 47. The establishment of that brand new group of Christians. And they started focusing on a few things. And Luke tells us what it was they were focusing on, what it was they were devoted to. Let's go ahead and read it again. Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
For the past several weeks, we have been focusing on the things that those first Christians focused on, the things those first Christians were devoted to. And the very first thing that Luke tells us they were devoted to is the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to being taught by Spirit-inspired men. If we're going to be an Acts 2.42 church, we're going to have to equally be devoted to listening to Spirit-inspired men. And the good news is those Spirit-inspired men wrote down what God inspired them to write. We call it the Bible. This morning I want to talk to you about being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being devoted to the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm going to sum up my entire sermon in just three words. In fact, if you're a note taker, this is going to be like the easiest note session you're ever going to have. You're going to know what this sermon was about, okay? I want to, I want to have something that you can remember, something you can take away. Someone sees you coming in you know, from sec- to second service, say, hey, what was the sermon about? I want you to be able to tell them exactly what this sermon was about, exactly what the message was. Now, you don't have to tell them if it was a good sermon or not. <laughs> But you should be able to tell them exactly what the sermon was. Just three words. I'm going to preach for almost 30 minutes, but it's still going to be just three words. Read the Bible. There you go. That's your message for this morning. Everybody say it with me. Read the Bible. When you leave here, I want you to be able to remember today's sermon was about Read the Bible. What was last week's sermon about? I don't know. You don't know. It's hard to remember. But I know what this week's sermon is about. This week's sermon is about read the Bible. Very good. Which sort of leads to an obvious question. Why? If we're saying the whole message is about, the whole focus here is read the Bible, why? Why should I read the Bible? Here's why. You should read the Bible because, just as I mentioned, it is God-breathed. No other book can make that claim. It is God-inspired. That's the unique thing about the Bible. While fully honoring the humanity and the culture of each one of its authors, about 40 men written over a space of about 400 years, those 66 books that make up the Bible are all inspired by God and allow us to to read the great story of God and allow us to learn about His relentless pursuit of us. Now, why read the Bible? What does reading the Bible do? Well, it generates life. It creates faith. It provides guidance. It makes the foolish wise. It makes the weak strong. It makes the doubtful hopeful. It's the first book you read to a young child. It's the last book you read to a dying man. Someone put it this way. It corrects the erring, inspires the daring, encourages the despairing, and humbles those who are overbearing. Yeah, it does all that. And even more. You know, if you're worried, if you're discouraged, if you're tempted, if you have questions about God, if you're looking for for wisdom, you know what you ought to do? You ought to... Thank you, those five of you who are with me. You ought to read the Bible. You ought to read the Bible. Absolutely. And I promise you, listen, I promise, 
on your deathbed. No other book is going to speak to you the way the Bible will speak to you. I've spent time with people on their deathbed, and I've never once had anyone say, would you read with me some passages from Shakespeare? Would you read me some of Harry Potter? No one's ever asked that. What people want to hear is the Word of God. When you read the Bible, you learn your identity. You learn your family. You learn who the enemy is. And the reality and the darkness of sin. You also learn about the wonderful grace that's afforded to us as children of God. Our eternal destiny, citizens of heaven. But what I personally think is the most important reason for reading the Bible, what I think is the best reason for reading the Bible, it's where we meet King Jesus. If you want to know about Jesus, you're going to have to read the Bible. And when you read the Bible, you're going to read about someone who mastered life and someone who conquered death. You'll learn his story. And you'll learn how his story intersects with my story. No other book comes close to the Bible. Let me share some statistics with you. Lots of research done on this. In fact, just in 2018 is the uh, survey that I'm uh, referencing. 94% of American households have a Bible in the home. It's pretty good. No other book comes close to that. 94% of American homes uh, have a Bible in their home. 90% of people who have a Bible in their home believe that the Bible is still applicable. It's pretty high. 86% believe the Bible to be holy. It's pretty good. That's encouraging. Here's where the statistics get a little less encouraging. Of the 94% of homes that own a Bible, less than 30% of those people claim to have read it in the last four months. And yet we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and those first Christians, they were devoted to the teaching of the apostle. They were devoted to the word of God. Remember, we've been talking about the fact that that word devoted, that's a powerful word. That's a big word. That's an important word. That's an action word. That's a get up and do something word. So this morning, I want to give you what I think might be one of the simplest frameworks that I've ever found uh, for engaging in the Word of God. And it's not original with me at all. I'm sure it's going to be familiar to a lot of you. And it's the acronym SOAP, S-O-A-P. If you remember in the the book of Ephesians, Paul uh, writes to be washed in the water of the Word. And in the same way that uh, soap and water kind of go through the fabric of a a dirty piece of uh, clothing, The Word of God actually goes through us, through our thoughts and through our minds and through our hearts and and cleanses us as well. So so here's the acronym. Again, it's very simple. But again, the whole sermon is pretty simple, right? I mean, the whole sermon is boiled down to read the Bible. Bible. Very good. Here's your acronym, SOAP. And the S in SOAP stands for Scripture. Make a commitment to read Scripture. Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
make a commitment to read the Bible. I think you ought to do it daily. Because I think it takes that much, that often, to, to really be transformed and to be renewed. Some more statistics for you. Kind of ironic. You know what the number one reason given for people not reading the Bible? It's not, I don't believe it. And it's not, I can't understand it. And it's not, I don't believe it's applicable. The number one reason given for people not reading the Bible, more, four times more than the next reason, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Overwhelmingly, that's the reason people give for not reading the Bible. I don't have time. Listen, we're family, right? I mean, we're family, right? We know each other well enough to know we're all a little bit messed up, right? We're okay with that. We know each other well enough to, to, to know we're all pretty powerless. We're okay with that. Can we just come out of denial on this thing? Can we just be honest with ourselves and with each other? We all have time to read the Bible. That is not a reason, and it is not an excuse. We all have the time to read the Bible. I just saw, preparing for this lesson, this past week I just read where the average American spends six hours a day looking at some type of video content. Now, I know that's not any of you. I know you don't, you know, you don't do that. But the average American will spend six hours a day looking at some type of video content. That's why every media outlet is rushing to get into you know, the video market. That's why Netflix and Hulu and uh, you know, Disney Plus and Apple TV, and you know, everybody's jumping to get in because we can't get enough of it. I'm old enough to remember when you were watching a show, if you wanted to watch the next episode, you had to wait a whole week. And you could only watch it in that one time frame when it came on, commercials and all. And if you missed it, you missed it. There was no way to go back and ever see it again. Oh, that was before the days of streaming and DVR and you know, pause and play and all that stuff. Now we binge watch TV, right? You know, we start and just watch the whole series in one sitting. It's a thing. Did you know that Jesus was a binge reader of Scripture? He was. And we know this is true because at the very beginning of his ministry, when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he answers each of the temptations by quoting Scripture. And then at the very end of his ministry, while on the cross, he quotes Scripture, refers to Scripture to express his heart to the Father. And then in between the beginning and the end of his ministry, everything he did... Everything that he said, everything that he taught flowed out of this profound immersion in the knowledge of God's Word. Yeah, we can make time to read the Bible. So S is for Scripture. O is for observe. Be curious about what you read. Notice things. Ask questions. One myth about Scripture is you kind of have to be a theologian to really understand it. And yes, uh, scholarship is good. I'm all for it. And yes, there are some deep teachings in Scripture. But any thoughtful person can read the Word of God and be shaped by it. And any thoughtful person can read the Word of God and understand what God's trying to tell me. It's the way He designed it. 
God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, study the book of law continually. Meditate on it day and night so you may be sure to obey all that's written in it. Only then will you succeed. God's word demands our attention. We've got to read it. We've got to study it. We need to meditate on it. And I know that's an intimidating word. Ooh, meditate. I don't really know how to meditate. Now, I, do I assume the lotus position? And um, you know, someone's got to train me how to meditate. No, they don't. You know how to meditate. And I'll prove it to you. How many of you know how to worry? Anyone in here know how to worry? Yeah, we know how to worry. Meditation is just, or, or worry, meditation is positive worry. If you can worry, you can meditate. It's really the same thing. You know, when I worry, I, I, I focus on one thing, usually a problem, and I just go over it and over it and over it, and I'm just consumed with this one thing, and it, it drags me down. When I meditate, when I meditate on God's Word, I think about what I just read, and I ask questions, and I consider it, and I mull it over. What's it mean to me? Why did God want me reading this today? And I run it around and around and around in my mind, but instead of dragging me down, it builds me up. If you can worry, you can meditate. Now, I'll admit, worry seems to be our default mode. Meditation takes a conscious decision, and it takes surrender. And by the way, when I, uh, when I observe, I usually do it with a pen in my hand. When I'm reading my Bible, I write in my Bible. It's okay, really. You can write in your Bible. But I'll, I'll underline things, and I'll draw lines and, and highlight different things, and it's, it's notes that no one else can understand except me, and half the time I don't really understand it later. But here's what does happen. I learn by writing things down. And then what I found is years later, I'll have the same Bible, and I'll be looking at that passage again, and I'll see the notes that I made. And I'll remember what was going on in my life when I wrote those notes down and sometimes I can't remember all where my mind went back then but, but I'm encouraged and I'm reminded uh, God's word is meant to be extremely personal which brings me to the letter A A stands for application Hebrews 4 tells us the word of God is living and active sharper than any double edged sword it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen, the goal of reading your Bible is not just to gain information. The goal is not so you can impress your Bible class with your brilliance. Now, I've said this before, the goal is not to be able to run the Bible category on Jeopardy. The goal is not to say, look how much Bible I know. The goal is not information. Jesus never taught just for the sake of information. Jesus always taught for the sake of, here it comes, transformation. Jesus was sharing information for the purpose of transforming the people that were listening to him. Now, sometimes we confuse Bible knowledge with being spiritually mature, and they're not always the same thing. 
Because I bet we all know people who really seem to know Scripture inside and out. Boy, that guy, that, that, that woman, they really know their Bible. But then it doesn't seem like their lives are really reflecting Jesus very accurately. And then on the other hand, we all know people who like, they're brand new to this Jesus thing. They don't really know very much at all about the Bible, but boy, look at their joy. And look how excited they are. Look at their passion. Look at how they're, they're reading and they're studying and they're sharing. Yeah. James put it this way in James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, let me issue a challenge to the lesson. This is bonus material, okay? Remember, somebody asks you, what was today's sermon about? Your answer is, read the Bible. Bible. And they say, well, that's pretty simple. That's pretty basic. I've heard that before. Was that all there was? Isn't there anything else to it? Here's the next part to it. Again, bonus material. Read the Bible. Do what it says. There you go. Two things this sermon is about. The first, read the Bible. The second, do what it says. Why do we have to complicate that? It's not rocket science. There's there's a phrase that a lot of recovery groups use, and it's it's a great phrase. And the phrase is, do the next right thing. That is great advice. Do the next right thing. Really, if you want to follow Jesus, one of the best things you can do is just do the next right thing. Do the next right thing, which isn't necessarily the next big thing. And it's not necessarily the next impressive thing. It's just the next right thing. Now, when you think about it, when people would interrupt Jesus or when Jesus would interrupt someone else, quite often he just told them to do one simple thing. Now, he healed the leper. He said, go show yourself to the priest. He healed the paralytic. He said, take up your mat and walk. He uh, brought Jairus' daughter back to life. He said, give her something to eat. He didn't give some great, giant uh, world mission. He said, do the next right thing. Write somebody a note. Give somebody a call. Notice someone. Relax. Forgive. Laugh. Those are really the kind of things that you're prompted to do when you're reading God's Word and you look out and you say, wow, God, thank you. Thanks for the way you've blessed me. Be kind. Be gentle. Drive slower, Anil. (laughs) Mention to someone that you love God. Tell someone how much you love Jesus. Brag on Jesus in your daily conversations. And then, yeah, we forget and I mess up and I get in over my head and I do some things I shouldn't do or I say some things I shouldn't say. But then my mind goes back to Scripture. My mind goes back to what I've read and what I've studied and what I've meditated on. Scripture-like, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all wrongdoing. And I confess, and I repent, and I ask for forgiveness, and I do the next right thing. Which brings us to the last letter in SOAP, and that is P. This stands for prayer. Three weeks in a row now, we're talking about prayer. But if we are going to devote ourselves the way those first century Christians were devoted, if we're going to devote ourselves to the Word, we're going to have to also be devoted to prayer. You know, I keep referring to the book, but we all know it's not just a book, right? We all know it's active and it's alive. Reading the Bible isn't just some human act that we do. Reading the Bible is something that we do in concert with the Holy Spirit. We do it in communion with the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us through His Word. Those inspired words by the Spirit. That's God speaking to us. And as we read the Bible, what a wonderful time to to talk to God and, and to listen to God. Okay, God, why are you directing me to this passage today? What do you want me to get out of this passage? It's a perfect time to pray about that. Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 15, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Max Lucado put it this way, Jesus didn't give you a car and tell you to push it. In fact, he didn't even give you a car and tell you to drive it. What he did was opened up the passenger door, invited you to sit down, buckle up, and hold on for the adventure of a lifetime. Now, we're familiar with Romans chapter 12, especially those first two verses. Paul writes, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What a blessing our minds are. God has given us the freedom to think and question and imagine and feel and want and choose dream. Our minds are such wonderful gifts from God, but they need to be renewed. You think of all the things that don't renew our minds, all the places that we allow our minds to go where they really shouldn't go, all the things we feed our minds with that we really shouldn't be feeding our minds with, all the things we don't feed our minds with that we really should be meditating on. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Pretty simple sermon. A three-word phrase to remember the sermon. The three-word phrase is, read the Bible. Bible. For all you overachievers, for all you extra credit type, the four-word phrase that goes along with that is, do what it says. Right. That might be the simplest sermon I've ever preached in my life. 
Read the Bible. Do what it says. But don't confuse simple with shallow. If somehow I could preach a sermon that motivated us to be devoted to read the Bible, do what it says, it'd be the best sermon I've ever preached. It would be the best message you ever took away. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to do what it says. We get sidetracked on a lot of different things. We chase a lot of rabbits down a lot of trails. But those first century Christians, those 242 Christians, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We want to be 242 Christians. We want to be devoted to those same things. So we're going to have to... We're going to have to... Read the Bible, and we're going to have to do what it says. Maybe it really is as simple as that. Listen, as a church family, if we can help you in any way, we certainly want to do that. Pray with you, pray for you. Uh, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. We're going to stand, and we're going to have a song of encouragement. You can meet us there, uh, and, and we'll talk about that. And then this afternoon, we're going to read the Bible, and we're going to do what it says. Let's stand and sing.